Morning. Great to see everybody today. I said I was going to preach like Jesus, and I've been, you know, putting this off because the tile floor is kind of cold. So, but there you go. I'm barefoot. This is the first time I've ever preached like uh, like Jesus. Great to see you all here today. This is a great day. Hope you took notice of the growing mountain of shoes that are there at the front door, which I think is awesome. Thank you so much for responding to that. I think that is incredible, and um, we will together lighten somebody's load of suffering down in Haiti, which I think is absolutely awesome. For those of you who are wearing shoes, don't don't feel guilty in any way whatsoever. For those of you who don't want to brave the cold tile floor, it's okay to be um, in your socks. I was said last week, you know, just make sure you wear socks that don't have holes in them or something like that. And all this reminded me of a a story this morning about uh, a guy who he got, he was getting married and all leading up to the marriage with his wife, he was covering up a secret and she was covering up a secret. And the secret that he was covering up is he had a really bad foot odor. It was a tremendously, tremendously bad foot odor. And so he wanted to tell her because he knew eventually, you know, on that honeymoon night, she was going to discover his feet. And uh, But he covered up, never could get to the point of actually telling her. And so he came up with a plan that he always would just like soak his socks down in that powder that would make everything smell good. And he thought, I'll just wear socks to bed every single night. And the secret that she was covering up is she had really bad breath. Like her breath could melt the paint on the walls. It was really bad. And so she covered it up just constantly. And so, well, the first night right there, there and they fall asleep and he's got his socks on and throughout the middle of the night accidentally his socks came off of his feet and so he woke up in the middle of the night and realized this starts rustling around all through the sheets to try to find his socks and it startles her awake and she wakes up really quick and she turns right to him forgets about the breath problem and she's right in his face she said what's wrong and he says oh no you've swallowed my socks you know so anyway as you know, if you were here last week, I made a, a, a major blunder in that I didn't finish last week's message I went over. So let me get right to the point here this week. The outline is on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along. Just going to do like a really uh, brief recap. Last week I said that God is large and in charge. And the reason to say that is is that God is all-powerful. And the fact that we've been talking about this, that, that Jesus Christ says the devil temporarily rules this planet. He temporarily does that. Jesus makes reference to that like three different times in the Gospel of John. And it's, it's found in other places. I want to be extremely clear that the fact that the devil is in temporary rule of this planet it does not diminish God's omnipotence by one ounce. That's the, those two are not in conflict in any way. You know, um, I got a bunch of emails this past week, and I want to thank everybody who I couldn't even respond to them all, but I just got uh, lots of great emails. And we, we um, had sent out a postcard when we started this series, the beginning of it, and we listed an email address for me and just said to the community who is getting um, these postcards, if you have a question, send it in. And I, I got one that I thought was really um, quite interesting. I just wanted to share it with you. So somebody uh, emails me, just somebody from the community, and you could tell they were a little bit upset about the whole suffering issue and maybe the way it was being portrayed in the world or in the church or whatever. They were quite frustrated. And they said, they went through the thing, they say, you know, free will, people often talk about free will leads to suffering. 
So we have suffering on this planet because there's free will. So God had to create, you know, because you've got to have free will to have love. So God had to create a planet where there's free will, and that's led to suffering. And they said, but, however, is there suffering in heaven? And the question is no, right? That's what you get. There's no. So they said, so is there free will in heaven? I thought, now that's a great question. That is a mind teaser. Um, I, can't, I don't have an answer for, for that. Um, I can't even get into all that right now, but I do want to say this. We're going to get into heaven in two weeks from now, and so there's a postcard on your on your seat. We're going to do four weeks on heaven. We're going to talk about it. And uh, heaven or hell, where, where will the real party be? Many people talk about, you know, I don't want to go to heaven. It's going to be boring there. We're going to sit around like this kind of uh, dorky guy right here and just playing the harp all day. That didn't seem fun. I'd rather go over to here where the big party is. A lot of people really feel that way. I think even some uh, music groups have written songs about that, uh, that the, the party is going to be in hell. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. I will just simply say this for now uh, about heaven. That we, as you read through the scriptures, you realize that the devil is not some kind of fairy tale in the Bible. That Jesus Christ fully believed that the devil does exist. Now, the statistics are something like this. 90 plus percent of Americans believe in God. 50 or less percent believe in the devil. But for Jesus Christ, he really believed that the devil existed. And you can read like in Ezekiel 28 where it's talked about, the devil's talked about. Jesus said this. He said, it's on your outline in Luke 10:18. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, where is all this going? This is what it seems to be. Heaven is a place where there is no suffering, but there is free will. And it just seems like that if you rebel against God in heaven, you get kicked out immediately. That's so keep that in mind for those of you who think about going to heaven. If you're, if you're going to rebel against God, once you get there, you might get kicked out. So, um, we'll, joking. Uh, we'll talk more about heaven in the in, <laughs> talk more about heaven in the week. You have to be here two weeks from, two weeks from now. We'll talk about heaven. All right. Here's the brief recap. Um, uh, when we fight, here, we should expect some things to happen. We should expect to suffer, right? So we talked about John the Baptist. Uh, and I said, often in my life, I thought, okay, if I do God's will, then it's going to be nothing but blue skies. And what we learn, because the devil is in temporary rulership of this world, that when you do the will of God in the kingdom of darkness, there is going to be trouble. There is absolutely going to be trouble. And that's what happened to John the Baptist. So there should be some expectation that there's going to be problems. The second thing, you should, there should be an expectation that you're going to run up against some doubt. And a lot of people think, oh, man, I, I, I'm having some doubt. So this is, a, this is a major problem here. John the Baptist, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' front man, his advanced man, his main man, right? Here's the guy. And here he is doubting Jesus Christ just, you know, days or weeks or whatever before he is to die. And that should speak to us. But I wanted to add something else that I said to it last week, and that is this. The book of Romans tells us that for every person that exists in the world, they are all given a measure of faith. Like, in other words, each one of us is given different measures of faith, right? It's kind of like muscles. You don't get more muscles. You go to the gym and you work out. You don't get more muscles. You just simply refine what you already have. There are people on this planet, I could work out all day. They could never work out a day in their life, and they will always be stronger than me because they were measured out with more muscle in the beginning. And there are those of us, 
uh, who we just have, we've been measured a lot of faith, and we look at people who have doubts, and sometimes we can kind of come down on them. But the reality is, is that you were just created in such a way by Almighty God, I don't know why, that you have more faith than other people do, and that's just the way it is. All of us, we can all grow our faith by exercising our faith. But some of us simply are born with a larger measure of faith, according to the book of Romans. And finally, and this is where we stopped last week, we should, we, I said, expect to wait. Expect to wait. John the Baptist does the will of God and he lands up waiting in, in prison. And I can't tell you how many times I've thought to myself, I'm going to do God's will. This is God's will. It's clear, right? It's really clear. I'm going to do God's will. This will take about a day for God to solve. And instead of taking a day, it takes a decade. Expect away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray you be with us uh, this morning as we, we face again this very difficult topic, very difficult topic of suffering. God, help us through it. This is painful. Now, there are those of us in this room that we're just torn up about it this morning. We are really conflicted and frustrated. And would God be with us. Lord, I also want to remember all those shoes at the front door. God, I pray that in that small, tangible way of a pair of shoes, that you would encourage and bring hope to somebody who's feeling hopeless in Haiti. In Christ's name, amen. Expect to wait. There is this wonderful Old Testament book called Daniel. It is a very exciting read if you have never read it before. It's filled with all kinds of incredible stories. Daniel was this guy who was like a major league prayer person, prayer warrior, however you want to put it. This guy could really pray. Daniel was an Israelite taken captive by the Babylonians, taken to Babylon, and he's now working for King Nebuchadnezzar as one of his wise men. He's just, he had, Nebuchadnezzar had tons of wise men. Daniel just happens to be one of those guys. Okay? And so there was a time that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He has this dream. It disturbs him. And so he says, send all the wise men to me. Well, they bring some of them, not all of them, because Daniel wasn't there. And they bring these wise men in, and Nebuchadnezzar says, I have a dream, why don't you give me the interpretation? The wise men said, okay, tell us what the dream is, we'll interpret it for you. And the guy said, no, 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 you're going to tell me what I dreamed, and then you're going to interpret I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. They said, we can't do it, big fight, king gets mad, so what does he say? Kill them all. So next thing Daniel knows is, here comes these security guys, and they're grabbing them. And he says, what's, what's going on? He says, we're going to kill you. Well, why? Can you tell me what's going on? And so he says, yes. And he explained the whole story. And Dan says, wait a minute, time out, time out. Can you take me to the king? I want to talk to the king. So they take him to the king. And the king explains the story. And Dan says, okay, give me some time to pray about this. And I'll come up with an answer. So Daniel gets his buddies together. They do some serious praying. And God shows them what the dream was and what the interpretation is. So he comes back. He tells it. There was another story at the end of Daniel's life. And this is a famous story. Daniel and the lion's den. Maybe you've heard it before. So... Daniel, something happens, people rise up against him, and Daniel is thrown in to a den of lions. Now, what they would do back then is they would kind of starve the lions, so they were, like, really hungry, and they'd throw somebody in there, and they would just stand around and watch this person just get, you know, devoured by lions, right? And it was a really great time, I guess. But he's thrown, <laughs> he's thrown down this, and we're told that his prayers, like, closed the mouths of the lions. So here's what I want you to understand. Daniel could really pray. He could really, really pray. And here's the thing. Towards the end of his life, he had a vision. He had a vision that was very important. It involved the nations, involved futures, all kinds of things that were going to happen. And he didn't understand what the vision meant. And so he begins to pray about it. 
He prays, but he doesn't get the answer. So he decides that he's going to start fasting, everybody. He's fasting and praying. God, give me the answer to this vision that I've had. Show me. I really, I really need to have it. He fasts for three weeks. And finally, after three weeks, the answer comes. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Daniel chapter 10. An angel shows up. An angel shows up to Daniel. He says, Daniel, I have, I have the interpretation of the dream. I'm going to give you understanding about what you saw. And he says, the angel says to him, from the day, day number one that you started praying, Almighty God sent me to give you the answer. Now, what, what's the problem with that, everybody? Day one, is it like a long trip from heaven to here? Could, you know, did you get sidetracked? Did you stop at the 7-Eleven? What did you do for three weeks while I was fasting, going without food and without drink? You know, what were you doing that was taking the delay? And here's what he says. Here's what the angel says. He says, I was coming and there was this demonic force called the Prince of Persia. There was this demonic force that prevented me from getting to you. Now, wait a minute, everybody. We're talking about an angel coming from God with God's will and with God's answer. Prevented for three weeks coming through to the answer as Daniel prayed. And it just made me think, my goodness. How many times have I prayed about something? And I've just been so very frustrated and said, got upset with God or got upset with the situation, couldn't understand what was going on. And maybe what the problem really was is the battle was so strong, the answer couldn't make its way through. Or maybe my prayers were just too few and the answer couldn't come through. Just because we are doing God's will doesn't mean that it's going to happen like that. There's all kinds of forces of darkness against it happening. The next time you're praying about something that's important to you and you're trying to break through, remember, there is a power at work that doesn't want the answer to come. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't have an answer for it. But there could be this huge struggle that is going on in heaven. This verse, I've read this verse for years, never fully understood what it means. I think maybe I understand a little bit more of it now. Put it in the context of what I just said. Matthew eleven twelve. It's not on your outlines. Listen to what it says. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I think simply what it means is to do God's will in a kingdom of darkness is not an easy thing to do. And it are those who will be warriors for God, who will fight back for God in the name of God on their knees or however you want to pray and you know, whatever that might be. To continue to do God's will in a world that is fighting against the will of God. Those are the people who are violent, so to speak, and will take it by force. In other words, this isn't a matter for wimps. I mean, this, this is going to be really, really hard to do. And I think this is what the scripture is saying to us. All right, now, let's, let's transition. So we talked about what happens when we fight. Now, how, how do we fight? How do we go about fighting? How do we go about this? Memorial Day, 1995, out in Culpeper, Virginia, uh, somebody who was really well-known, Christopher Reeve, suffered, the actor who has played Superman, if you're old enough to remember Christopher Reeve as Superman. Uh, he was on a horse, thrown from the horse, suffered a severe spinal cord injury. Uh, his mind was still good, but his body was paralyzed. So he wrote speeches, he wrote books, he acted, he did all kinds of things. Um, I, I don't know how long that was, maybe a decade he lived after that, maybe it wasn't even that long. He wrote this book called Still Me, and in it he included a picture of him on a physical therapy table with his wife Dana, kind of had his, her arm around him. And he puts this caption to the picture, and it simply says this, 
my medication better than any drug they ever gave me, referring to his wife, Dana. How do we fight? We never fight alone. Never fight alone. There are no lone rangers. It does not work. This is what Christopher Reeve was saying, and this is what the Bible tells us over and over again. We can't fight against all that we're up against in this world alone. We need people. You think about, as you read the Bible, the greatest group of fighters who ever fought in the Bible, the church and the book of Acts. And what does it constantly say about them? They were always in community. Always in community because we need each other. First Peter 5.8. I know we talk about, we've talked about this verse a lot. I want you to circle a word in this verse, though, if you will. It says, be careful. Watch out for the attacks of the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Could you circle the word victim on your outline? This is very important. Singular. It's not plural. He's not looking for a group of people together. He's looking for somebody who has isolated themselves or have become isolated because he takes them down when they're by themselves. If you have pulled yourself all to yourself, you keep things to yourself, right? You pull away. You, you don't have anybody that you feel like you can trust enough. You open up to about stuff that's going on in your life. You are isolated. And the enemy is just, I'm just drooling looking for those people who are isolated because I can take those kind of people down. Take them down. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two people are better than one because they can get more done by working together. We need each other. Now, we talk about something around here at Grace called gaps. Gaps. That there's always this gap that grows in our relationship with God, and we have to keep fighting all the time to shrink that gap. And the gap stands for groups, assemblies, which we're doing right here, personal spiritual practice, and service. Let's talk a second about groups. It's really important that you're in a group, a group of people that you can serve with, that you can grow with, that you're not isolated in any way whatsoever. Get in a group. And we, so we've, we've got groups of all kinds. Derek, heads up, all these groups here, if you're interested, you're not in a group. We have small, medium, large-sized groups. We've got prayer groups, Bible study groups. We just did this thing at our married couples uh, last, last month, or two weeks ago it was. Uh, we brought in a special speaker who talked about a way for husbands and wives. It was awesome for husbands and wives to communicate. A very structured thing. Guys, if you're anything like me, man, it, this was something. It was, it was a one, two, three, four, five thing that I could do every single day. It worked for me because it was structured. It was put in a certain order. It worked for Krista because it touched all those areas that she needed touched. I thought it was absolutely awesome. And we're going to do it again. We're going to bring in this couple again to speak to us and to train us in this next month. It was great. Tables for eight. 120 people signed up for Tables for Eight. I just had my first tables for eight. It's dinner. We all get together. It was great because we're in a relationship. We get to know each other. We can pray for each other. Don't isolate yourself. Last week, there was a young professional's brunch uh, just right down the street. Sign up for some of these. Get to know other people. Don't isolate yourself. Anybody here ever played paintball? Paintball players? couple people play. So when I went out to play paintball, you know, I've watched all the movies. I've watched 007 since I was a kid. And, you know, I've watched the recent Jason Bourne movies and stuff like that. I know how this stuff is done. Nobody, I've never, I've never been in the military, but nobody has to tell me how it's done because I've seen the movies. 
And I knew that if I grabbed my little gun, right, and I just like ran out, forget all the barriers and all that kind of stuff and other people, that if I just ran out there and I could just shoot everybody, and everybody that shot at me, it would hit the ground, you know, because that's what it does in the movie. Hits all over the ground. And, you know, I'm not going to get hurt. So that's what I did. First game out, man, I, whoo, here I just truck and and I'm running right through, wide open, right through. And the problem was is none of those little bullets were hitting the ground. They were all hitting me. They're all hitting me. I got, I had bruises all over, head to toe. And I went for like two or three games like that. And then I smartened up. I said, you know, I'm not going to be a Lone Ranger anymore. No more Lone Ranger. So I got a couple buddies, you know, and we got behind all the little barricades and we gave all those signals that we saw in the movies like. <laughs> this, we did all that kind of stuff. And you know what? By the time the game was over, I was still standing without a bullet wound on me. We need each other. To fight this battle, it's very important. That's how we fight. Okay. Second thing is we do this a shoe at a time. A shoe at a time. So I brought, as you know, we got tons of shoes out there. But I thought these are pretty, these are going to be for the next Haitian Shaquille O'Neal right here <laughs> that we're going to send down. I think they're pretty awesome. They're size, size 18 shoes. Uh, we do this a, sh- a shoe at a time. There is too much. Su- Some of us think, you know, there's just too much suffering in this world. How in the world can a pair of shoes make a difference? 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's of power. Not a matter of talk. You know, we can talk, we can talk Jesus all day long. That does not cut it, everybody. It's when we pick up a pair of shoes and we talk about Jesus and then we deliver a pair of shoes or a cup of cold water or whatever it might be and we think, we think it might be small but it actually turns out to be a good thing and makes a difference in somebody's life. It brings inspiration. What, we're, what I'm going to ask you to do in this service, we're going to have communion. I'm going to ask some of you, just as you sit in your seats and you take communion, you know what we need to do? We say, God, I don't know who's going to get these pair of shoes. They're going to make a big statement, whoever gets these pair of shoes. I don't know who's going to get these pair of shoes or all those other shoes that are out there or the shoes that you brought in. But here's what you can do. You can let get God get mixed up in the situation. Say, God, whoever wears these shoes that we're sending down there, would God, would you bless their life? Would you touch their life? I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're suffering with. I don't know what person is going, but God, could you just like Holy Spirit, would you just fall upon them? If they're suffering a physical injury, God, would you heal them? If they're suffering emotional injury, God, could you help them? If they got some relationship problems, if their family's blown apart, could you restore that? You know what? The shoes, along with your prayers, can make a huge difference in their life. I got this idea this past week. I was driving down the road, and about a year ago, I had taken um, a pair of shoes of mine to be repaired at this old little repair shop out in Maryfield, Virginia. And so I was driving down the road. I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop back by and see this guy. This old guy works in there. I'm going to go in and see if maybe he happens to have any shoes that are lying around that I can say, hey, you know, could I send him down to Haiti? So I went in there, and this guy, he's got this really, he's got this big parrot in there named Walter. And Walter drinks Diet Coke. So... (laughs) He's, you go in there, and he's got the Diet Coke can, and he's drinking. So it's kind of a really cool place. And I just said to him, hey, you know, I got a weird question for you, but my church is sending shoes to Haiti. Do you have any shoes laying around? He said, man, I don't. I don't have any shoes laying around. He said, maybe you should go to the thrift store or something. I said, ah, that's, a, that's, that's a great idea. I was getting ready to walk. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got a storage shed. The shed was right next to his shop. He said, I've got some shoes in there. I went over there. 
and he had brand new shoes. Now, they'd been around his store shop for a while, but they were still in the boxes. Like, these are, these are classic Nikes. They don't, they don't make these kind of shoes. And these are vintage. These are special. He had, like, 40 pair of them that he just gave to me. He said, you can have them all. Just take them all. You know, that seems like a really small thing, but for some reason that really inspired me. I mean, it just touched my heart. You know what? There is hope in this world. When we do something for somebody else, there is hope in this world. I want to just cap off this last thing because I want to move to communion. I want to encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 6. It talks about the different elements that we need to fight in this huge battle. I just want to read these things to you. It says we need to have seven different weapons that we wield in this warfare from Ephesians chapter 6. It says, number one, we need to have the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? It's character. The belt holds everything else in place. Character. You can't fight against injustice or suffering or whatever in this world unless your character is intact. So you've got to work towards that. The breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of peace. Number four, the shield of faith. Number five, the helmet of salvation. Number six, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And number seven, it's prayer. Isaiah 58.10 says this. It says, Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as day. When is the light going to come on? It's going to come on when we feed the hungry and we help those in trouble and we do it in the name of God. And here's the last thing. We have to take Jesus at his word. Take him at his word that there will be a day. There will be a day that we can have hope that a day is coming when God is going to crush suffering and pain. This world can be very lousy and God never promises us that He's going to wipe out our suffering and pain here and now. But He does promise us that there will be a day when He will come and He will wipe it all out. Jesus said in John 14, famous verses of, of Jesus Christ, says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Heaven brings us hope. It brings us hope. We are suffering on this planet. Jeremiah 8.21 says, God says to us, God speaking, He says, when you are suffering, you're being crushed by suffering. God says, I want you to know this, I am being crushed right along with you. Our hope is this. Sometimes, sometimes everybody, God comes in and He just like wipes out some of the suffering that we're going through right now. I've had times in my life where, man, things were really bad and then all of a sudden God stepped in and everything turned around. And then I've had times when the suffering has just stayed with me and it's still with me to this day. It hasn't gone away. But our hope is in this. That there is coming today, according to Revelation 21, that Jesus Christ will split the sky and He will come back and He will forever and always eliminate suffering and pain. And that is something really, really good to look forward to. And so, therefore, we have to maintain our hope. Here's what God put on my heart about how to end the service today. It's communion. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to come up. We're going to have the different... If the music team wants to come on up, they're going to sing a special song. And this song is based upon Revelation chapter 21, that there is coming a day. Now, for those of you who are in suffering and pain today, the prayer team is going to be up here. 
I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up and to pray with you. Okay? And some of us are going through that. And, and you know what? The vision God gave me is like Daniel. He was praying for that. All of us can link arms this morning because I think God wants to crush some of the suffering and pain that some of us are going through. And we should pray for it and we should hope in it. For the rest of us who will come up and take communion, go back and sit in your, sit in your seats, if you can just pray for all these shoes that are on their way to Haiti, that the feet that step inside of those shoes would be blessed by God. God will touch them. God will help them. So we're going to turn out the lights, and uh, I'm going to ask those helping with the communion to come forward. And after I pray, whenever you would like to come up and take communion, please do. If you want to be prayed for by the prayer team, they're going to be right up front here. You can go in our prayer room over there. If you go back to your seats, if you could just pray for those who will receive these shoes. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your word. I want to thank you, God, for the hope that you bring us. Father, as we take communion, we, we take special notice that Jesus Christ, you said that you would be with us in an extra special way this very morning, that you would walk amongst us as we partake of this bread and of this cup. So God, I pray this morning that as we take this bread and cup, that Jesus, you would come down and you would crush some of the suffering and pain that exists in this room that you would build our hope up and you'd let us know that you are with us. Father, for those who will step foot in these shoes we're sending to Haiti, God bless them. God, we pray just what your word says in Numbers chapter 6, that God, you would bless and keep those who put their feet in those shoes, that you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them, that you would lift up your countenance upon them and grant them peace. Lord, bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for your honor and your glory until the day you come. In Jesus' name.